Hello there and a very warm welcome to episode 46 of the Frantic Football Podcast on World Football Index. I'm Neil Shalat and I'm delighted to say that once again I've been joined by Alex Barker. How are you Alex? I'm doing very good Neil. Thank you for having me on. As always a pleasure. And well, it's Monday again so we're going to be looking back at the very busy weekend that we just had. Loads of stuff happening. Not one, not two, but three Champions Leagues. Uh, to talk about, along with loads of other finals and and big games, loads of playoffs as well, and league seasons ending. So we had some dramatic title race, uh, title races concluding, and some very dramatic relegation battles too. And we also have some transfers to talk about. A couple of fairly high profile ones at that. So as always, it's going to be a busy episode on this Monday. So without further ado, let's get started. Let's start with a couple of those Champions Leagues that I talked about. In Europe, we had the Women's Champions League final, of course, in Eindhoven between Barcelona and Wolfsburg. Barcelona, who won this uh, tournament a couple of years ago and lost the final last season against Lyon, uh, against a Wolfsburg side that had two titles to their name, but the last one of those came a decade ago. And also, of course, a Wolfsburg side who lost in the Bundesliga title race against Bayern and of course Barcelona were the favorites for this one they they've been the best side in Europe on on overall for I'd say the last 2 3 years uh, certainly and they absolutely were the favorites here but Wolfsburg got off to a flying start they scored within 3 minutes uh, through Eva Bayer and even got a second before half time despite defending for most of that half in fact i think that three shots at half time uh one of them was from the center circle so they had two meaningful shots at half time and both of them went in and ba- uh, barcelona's xg at half time was something like 2.7 and they didn't have a single goal uh but of course they would quickly get a couple patri guirano guirano uh, getting a brace just 5 minutes into the second half to put barcelona on course for victory of course uh they they had to get one more goal for that and that did come around the 70th minute from Fredolina Rolfer so with that barcelona sealed their second uh, champions league title and of course their second in 3 years so well done to them and the other champions league final we had was the second leg of the concacaf champions league final this was in los angeles between of course lafc and club leon of mexico both these sides had never won this trophy Uh, LFC had lost one final in the past. Uh, Club Leon here for the first time ever, and it was Leon who had the advantage from the first leg, a two-one aggregate lead. But of course, having conceded that away goal, which we spoke about, made the tie very, very interesting. Uh, but it was they who scored first here, uh, crucially so too, because that obviously took out the away goal advantage. And although LFC had a fair few chances after that, in front of a, a brilliant, brilliant crowd, I should add. um they couldn't find the back of the net so it was a 1-0 win on the night for leon and of course a 3-1 aggregate win which makes them i believe the ninth different mexican team to win the concacaf champions league so certainly dominated by mexican sides this competition and well that's another one to add to the list of mexican winners All right let's move on we did have the caf champions league final as well that was the first leg between uh, el ahli and vidad casablanca and this one ended one in favor of the hosts el ahli who might be a bit disappointed actually again because of conceding that away goal they were certainly the better side throughout the game i'd say uh, vidad casablanca did have some chances here and there but nothing really of note and it was el ahli who did of course take the lead through percy tau just before half time uh, and they even scored the second goal before the r mark through striker mahmud karaba but uh, towards the end i think with just a few minutes left on the clock vidat pulled one back through safeddin bura and that could could change the complexion of the tie completely going into the second leg because of course if vidat get a 1-0 win at home they'll be champions on away goals of course they're the defending champions too against the 
well, the, the record finalists El Ali, I think, in their fourteenth final uh, altogether. So that should be very exciting next week. But in Africa, we also had a big final, the second leg of the CAF Confederation Cup, where we had some history created because USM Alger have become the first Algerian winners to uh, of this competition. They lost this this leg. This was the home leg against Young Africans through a seventh minute penalty. Uh, is that's where they conceded pretty early on, but. Of course, they had the 2-1 lead from the first leg with two away goals. So, young Africans knew that they needed to get at least two goals here to have a shot at, uh, well, winning or taking the title extra time. And they, they didn't. Uh, in fact, USM Alger also had a penalty later, I think, in the second half, which was saved. But either way, it, it, it didn't matter in the end because they've won on away goals. So, young Africans, the first Tanzanian finalists in a CAF competition, uh, could not win the first trophy for their country, but that's the first Algerian uh, CAF Confederation Cup winners. Right, that's enough about the Champions Leagues. Let's now go to some leagues and cup finals. I think we have to start with the Belgian Pro League, where we had one of the most dramatic title race conclusions I can remember, because it was not just two, but three teams involved. And so... There was stuff going on in three matches. Of course, two of them playing each other, Royal Antwerp against Genk, and the outgoing champions, Club Brugge, against Union Saint-Gelois. Uh, let's, let's sum this up, Alex. How, how shall we begin? Oh, how should we begin? Yeah, it was a really crazy day and a great end um, to the to the league season. Um, it, well, Neil messaged me before we did this podcast, said, do you want to cry about in your uh, USG not winning the league. <laughs> uh, I'm honestly, I'm not actually that upset. I think I'm just quite happy Club Brujo didn't win it in the end. Fair enough. That I think the that that's that's the important takeaway here. They still had to um, play spoil sport, but yeah, they didn't win it. They did play spoil sport. If you didn't see it, uh, Union were winning two one nil, and thanks to a re- really good goal from Simon Adingra, um, linking up with Boniface. Uh, he's the Brighton Loney, I want to say. Yep, yes. Um, Adingra kissed kiss the badge as well, which is really nice. Uh, and then in the 89th minute, Brujo got one goal. Um, Union powered forward to try and get another. Noah Lang ran up the other end, scored and took his top off like a dick. And then and then in the ninth, in the 100th minute, Club Brujo sealed Union's fate and got another goal. Uh, so they, despite leading the table for 89 minutes, Union were whacked out of it at the last minute but that wasn't the end of the drama was it Neil? Not quite we had all sorts going on in the other game of course perhaps the more important one Royal Antwerp against Genk Antwerp of course leading the league for a very interesting reason as we discussed uh, last Monday so the advantage was in their hands Uh, (laughs) they knew it was very simple if they won the league was theirs no one could do anything about it Uh, but they they were never on course to win actually they could, They were pretty good in the first half, but then Antwerp scored with their first effort of the game just before halftime. So it was not Antwerp. Genk scored with their first effort of the game uh, before halftime. So as things stood, they were winning. And then, of course, before their second half even kicked off, in the other game, Union scored, and that meant they were uh, on course to win the league. And then back here, Antwerp equalized uh, just before the hour mark through Gairano Kerk. That didn't change the title picture because it was still Union's. But in case they slipped up, it was back in, in Antwerp's hands. But of course, there was more drama because then Genk scored uh, to take the lead in the 75th minute through Brian Aynan. And of course, still Union winning. So it was all uh, still in their hands. But then we had that Club Brugge equalizer in the uh, what, 89th minute, which was even closer to stoppage time, if not in stoppage time in this game. So then Genk were leading to one. So the title was in their hands. But then in the fourth minute of stoppage time, local boy Toby Alderweireld popped up at the edge of the box and absolutely picked out the top corner to equalize for Antwerp. And of course, since Union were losing, that was the point they needed to win the title. So a 94th minute winner from Toby Alderweireld sealed the title for Antwerp, their first since 1957. And of course, they also won the cup. So that's their first league and cup double and uh, an incredible achievement for them after only being promoted 
most recently in 2017 after close over a decade i think in the second tier so a, a great turnaround and a great achievement for them and of course a real shame for i mean both for gank and union who will both feel they watched the title slip out of their hands the funny thing was they they did actually have an a helicopter which actually did fly so uh, it was based i believe in leuven which is one third of the way from brussels uh, to gank i believe that's what the commentator said and then obviously at half time i think after union scored or around the 70th minute it started to fly towards brussels and then when club brugge scored the equalizer on tv they showed the pictures of the helicopter turning away so the helicopter came all the way to brussels and then turned away and presumably went towards gank but then of course they lost it too so it had to presumably be rerouted to antwerp because they weren't presented the trophy at gank the players took the bus back to antwerp and then celebrated the title there so um an interesting but an actual helicopter i think in the premier league they joked about this during final day title decided but an actual helicopter there going across three cities and of course ending up in antwerp so that was the dramatic conclusion to the pro league title race i think it's a good job they no one finished level on points and we didn't have to worry about the odd even points because that would have been quite something but yeah it's it's antwerp outright winners uh, after some incredible drama right elsewhere we had a few cups uh Manchester City winning the FA Cup, Hertha Leipzig winning the DFB Pokal ahead of Eintracht Frankfurt, Christopher Nkunku scoring in his last game for the club, but elsewhere over in Scotland we had some history where Celtic uh won uh the Scottish Cup and with that they sealed a record-breaking eighth domestic treble. That's a world record for domestic trebles, I believe. and of course uh it 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 was a match which most likely almost certainly was the last game in charge of the club for Ange Postecoglou we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later i just said neil was really serious today because he read all of that despite me typing in our google doc on the fa cup result that i'd watched spiderman instead of this game and it was much better and neil just powered through without I any don't see that Oh, he doesn't see it. Oh, fair enough. Well, no, I just wanted to let you know. I watched this new Spider-Man movie over the FA Cup final, Ooh. and it was. I think that's a good decision. So it was a really good decision. I just <laughs> I, like all I, of I've this heard it's to a know. Great movie, by the way. I don't need to. I, obviously, I watched the first one. I don't need I, to. I add think this. that is the main reason I wrote that. I just want listeners to know if you haven't seen it, you should go and see it. It's top tier, top, top, top tier, and much better than FA Cup final. Please continue. Spider-Man propaganda on. the fantastic football podcast but i think absolutely thoroughly served i loved the first movie so yeah fair enough i, I we'll let that one slip right where was i i was at the portuguese cup yep that's where i was that's at the portugal we had the final here too uh, braga against porto uh, neither of them of course managed to win the league that went to benfica and here it was porto who uh, were crowned champions with a 2-0 win a fairly fairly late goals scored um but they were certainly the better side throughout the game and of course that means that they once again uh get a get a trophy to show for their season so that was the portuguese cup then in switzerland we had young boys winning the swiss cup uh against defending champions lugano to complete what i believe is just their second or second double uh, at the league cup double um in 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 of course their uh, second league cup double in switzerland and this too this was i think a more straightforward win for young boys they scored a couple of goals fairly fairly well ahead of the end of the game they did concede once so we did have a bit of a grandstand finish at the end but never never really looked under threat and ultimately uh, they 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 got a crucial third goal to make it 3-1 in the 85th minute and so Lugano pulling one back almost immediately thereafter didn't prove to be too threatening to them so a 3-2 win for young boys in the swiss cup we also had the coppa italia femminile in italy where roma were searching for their first ever league cup double of course having won the league for the first time 
uh, this season. And well, things didn't quite go to plan for them. We were goalless for 90 minutes, but then right in stoppage time, Juventus scored a winner to again get something to show for their season. Of course, not the league title, but a cup is what they will get. So, a stoppage time winner there, sealing the Coppa Italia Feminile. We also had quite an incredible final in Australia, the A League men's final, the grand final, as they call it. This was in Sydney. After, of course, the very controversial decision by the APL board to hold them all in Sydney, regardless of who participated. Funnily enough, there were no teams from Sydney. It was Melbourne City against the Central Coast Mariners. Melbourne City, of course, the premiers in the grand final for, I think, the fourth consecutive season uh, against a Central Coast side who were here for the first time in a decade. And, I mean, no guesses for who the favourites were. Of course, the premiers... The city absolutely steaming through the league. But boy, they were steamed through here. It ended 6-1 to the Central Coast Mariners. It was only 2-1 at halftime, but, but they scored the first two goals, the Mariners. Jason Cummings, on his final appearance before he goes to Mohan Bagan in India, uh, getting the opener, and then setting up the second for Sami Silvera. Uh, city pulled one back before halftime. But then in the second half, uh, Jacob Farrell, the young left-back, uh, from Gosford, so local boy for the Mariners, came on, won two penalties, both converted by Cummings to complete his hat-trick and to set the rec- goal-scoring record in a season for the Mariners, or rather to break it. And that sealed the result. Just two more late goals from Benny and Cololo and Moresh made the scoreline look even worse for City. And yeah, culminated a historic day for the Mariners, who, who've had quite the 10 years since they last won. They, I think almost for three or four years, consistently finished at or very close to the bottom of the league. Of course, there was that time when they gave Usain Bolt a trial and, in fact, were even willing to offer him a contract, which uh, certainly drew a fair bit of criticism. So, they were very close to getting Usain Bolt playing professional football for the Mariners. But, well, from then, from then they changed their, their approach. Really, they started to invest a lot more in... In, in the in their academies in in youth basically and of course playing a lot of uh, young players too I think they've consistently been uh, the youngest side in the league in terms of average age in their squad and that approach clearly seems to have worked they've been in the finals the last three years and now they've finally won it so well done to them right let's move along now to some relegation battles across various leagues let's start with some of the the big leagues in Europe, the La Liga battle uh, was, well, quite incredible. We had six teams at risk of going down f- for only the final spot on the final day. And uh, The club o- o- occupying 18th spot were Real Valladolid. They were up against Getafe. And, of course, they needed to get a result in order to spice things up. Getafe were not safe themselves. In fact, if Valladolid won then they were only a couple of other results away from going down. So they needed to at least get a point to be sure of staying up. And of course, managed by Jose Bordalas, they delivered, an, 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 I think, an all-timer of a performance. Here are some stats for you. 20% possession, 64 accurate passes, and four shots is all they took. But they came away with a nil-nil draw, Restricted Valladolid, mind you, to only 15 shots worth 0.87 xG. No big chances among them. So, absolutely frustrated Valladolid. Some, some peak Bordalas ball with their 4 for 2 low block. And that, that, that sent Valladolid down. For a moment, though, Valladolid were staying up despite all of Getafe's 4 for 2 low blocking. Because in the other game, already relegated Espanyol... Uh, went down against Almeria a couple of times, but then around the 75th minute took the lead to make it 3-2. And as things stood, uh, Almeria and Valladolid were finishing level on points and Almeria Almeria were losing out on head-to-head. So they were going down, but then they scored an equalizer in the 87th minute from the penalty spot to get a crucial point, which kept them above Valladolid and obviously then sent them down. So Valladolid goes straight back down after well, being promoted last season, along with Espanyol and Elche, of course. And at the other end of the table, there was something to play for, which was 7th spot, uh, the Europa Conference League spot. 
And please to say it was Osasuna who got it. They beat Girona 2-1. Uh, elsewhere, uh, we had Athletic Club uh, slipping up to only manage a draw. They were the other side in with a very strong chance, but they could only draw against Real Madrid. Karim Benzema scoring a goal on his uh, farewell to help Osasuna get into the Europa Conference League. So, very much looking forward to seeing them in that competition next year. But that's that from La Liga season's over. Of course, we still have the Segunda División promotion playoffs, which we'll talk about. But let's go over to Serie A. Well, I think that they've introduced a rule which Alex might not like because as of last season, uh, if two teams finished level on points, then they would be separated by head-to-head. This season, if two teams finish level on points, they're still separated by head-to-head unless they finish first and second or 17th and 18th because in such a case, there is no tiebreaker. They go to a playoff match and that's what's going to happen to Spezia and Elas Verona, who have finished 17th and 18th level on points. So obviously that's the final relegation spot that they're fighting over. Both of them losing this weekend. Spezia 2-1 to Roma after conceding a penalty in stoppage time, which obviously took them to this playoff match and also took Roma to the Europa League. Otherwise it was Juventus jumping over them. But Juventus will stay in the Conference League and Roma will get the Europa League. But down at the bottom, this that was a more important goal. Because that meant that Spezia were no longer safe and will have to play a relegation playoff match against Elas Verona. What are your thoughts on that, Alex? I'm interested to hear them. Yes, because I've been waiting to talk while you finish <laughs> that. Because I've got two things to say to you, Neil. Contrary to you and what some listeners who've listened to me on this podcast may believe, I was aware of this rule. Hmm. And contrary to what you believe, again, I actually quite like it. Oh, you do? Yeah, I think... Not to name names, but when these decide, you know, champions by odd or even number of goals, I think that is like <laughs> medieval and backwards and it's like should be pillaged out of the game. But I, th- I, th- I think in a bid where a lot of leagues need to raise money through TV rights with the Premier League is the Super League. They've got to do something. They can't jeopardise their own domestic quality. I think while it's a bit awkward, I kind of like it, I especially at the top of the table. I think there is an argument to be had that you there is a better it's a better measure of who's the better team uh, by having a playoff if two teams are level one points. So I actually think it's a good rule. I'm not I don't think I'd want it in every league. I think if it's an ideal world, no. But considering all the circumstances, I think it's fine. So ha. Right. Well, personally, I think you either you either have that all over the league or you don't have it at all. Having it at just two specific places. It's a bit of a weird one for me, especially because those are not the only two meaningful places, right? Like, teams but those are finish... the two meaningful places. It's like the separators. Yeah, but then teams can finish fourth and fifth, and someone misses out on Champions League because of goal difference, and you're cool with that. But someone's getting relegated because of head to head, and you're like, nope, I figured a play. Yeah, but that's like that's like, and I I, I get what we defended Lons last week. This is could be hypocritical. That's like, there's a difference between celebrating a league and celebrating finishing fourth. And while I think you're right, it's not saying that the other places aren't meaningful. I think it can work for sort of the the jeopardy to be like, right, these are the two best teams they'll play off. Whoever wins, wins the league. Whoever wins out, whoever loses out of these two games, like gets relegated. The only way you can make it better is if it was top versus bottom and it was like the worst with the best and whoever loses gets relegated and whoever wins wins the league so in that way in this case Sampdoria could have a chance to win the league and Napoli could could go down to Serie B I that'd would enjoy that that would be very interesting I tell you what I think I'll, I'll contact the 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 people in charge of MLS because I'm sure that's an idea <laughs> they might not hate give it no because there's relegation in it they wouldn't oh, like it yeah my bad yeah fair yeah point. Uh, also that. also to Ben um <laughs> with his crap insults last week on the podcast if you that was on Patreon wasn't it that episode yeah. if you're subscribed to the Patreon which you should be you would have heard Ben make the most pathetic attempts ever to like sort of do me in uh, I just like to send a message to Ben to say your country is full of people, drink Smirnoff ice and think that's hard. Um, you lot can be quiet. Right. Was that, was that a message for Ben then? I think we have to wait for Friday to get his public response. Um, but until then, let's move on to another relegation battle, which was in Liga. 
What happened Ooh. here, Alex? Oh, perfect. That's right on for me. It's time to get football off on my phone to make sure I get it all right. <laughs> but no, I I, did, I watched the this evening. As I said, I skipped the FA Cup for the new Spider-Man film because it was a choice between skipping that or Lee Gunn. And I said, I'm going to watch Lee Gunn, thank Direct you. And I, yes, and I watched Nantes manage to stay up by the skin of their teeth. Uh, they played uh, Angers, who were terrible, uh, as they have been all season, as Angers got relegated. But... Nantes managed to score thanks to I'm trying to remember the goal scorer. It was Ganogo after a lovely assist from Ludovic Blas cutting inside against, in fairness, training cones. Um, that was a defense. Uh, before cutting it across to Ganogo to finish. Uh, of course, Nantes victory meant that Auxerre went down as the fourth relegation spot as Ligue 1 switches to an 18-team league. It's quite a development for the league, really. They're getting a fourth Champions League spot next season and they're losing two teams. And even more interesting is that all three of the teams going down have been promoted in the last two seasons. Augsa and Ajaccio came up this year and Trois came up last year. And you could definitely argue that all four going down weren't really good enough to stay in the league. And the teams remaining... I'd say only like Brest and Clermont Foot of, of like Clermont Foot had a really good year, but in terms of like player quality, both teams are like in the big five leagues would rank really really low. The rest of the league is looking strong, um, but there is some there is some flux moving at the top. Uh, Neil was noted down on our pod about Rennes making uh, the UEFA Co- uh, UEFA Europa League spot, same as finish fourth. I would like to shine a spotlight on another team um, in typical Alex fashion. Uh, really big underperformers, Monaco. I don't know if you saw the news, Neil. They sacked their manager yesterday, Philippe Clermont, uh, which means four big teams in France are on the hunt for a manager. PSG, Nice, who are one of the richest teams in Europe. Uh, Monaco, who sacked Clermont because they finished sixth outside of the European spaces. And Marseille, who scared away Igor Tudor. He ran away. Uh, because the fan base is terrifying. Um, so it's going to be a really interesting summer for Ligue 1. And yeah, PSG, Lens, Marseille going into Champions League if Marseille can qualify, Ren Europa League and Lille. It wasn't what they wanted. Saw some fan backlash at them celebrating the fact they got UEFA Conference League. But I think they'll be quite happy with that for Paolo Vonseca. And we'll see what happens next season. Um, because uh, just to round us off, Nantes did manage to survive, but they were in the Europa League this year. They got the... Uh, they won the Coupe de France last year. That's how they got in. They got to the final again this year. They can't be accepting 16th. They need to get back up the table. Yeah, they, they do might be on the hunt for the manager, I think, because they had an interim one towards the end of the season. So that's something to watch out for too, I suppose. Oh, they are on the hunt for a manager as well? I mean, I'd imagine because they sacked uh, Antoine Kumbar, if I'm saying um, that right. And yes, Kumbar. Oh, I missed. Yeah, I missed that sacking, actually. That's interesting, uh, yeah. And I think this game was his first win in charge. I think he's taken like three or four games. Uh, Pierre Aristoua, if I'm saying that right. Yeah, you're, and, you're correct. And this was his first win. So fine time for it. Obviously against a horrendous Oshia side, as you said. But yeah, a fine time for it. But I, I'd imagine they'll be looking for a manager too. So a fair few teams really uh, on the hunt for a manager in Liga. But there'll be a couple of new ones as well. And I can tell you, who those are? Of course, four relegated two coming up. As Alex said, the t- the league's being chopped down to 18 teams. Uh, and that meant that League 2 did not have any playoffs this season. So just two direct promotion spots. One of them was taken by Le Havre, France's oldest professional football club, who could have been promoted or could have sealed promotion about three weeks ago. But then at that time, I talked about how I expected them to win a game and seal promotion. So they lost. Then the next week, they lost again. And then the next week, they only drew. So it all went down to the final day when they were against relegation battling Dijon. You might recognize them because they've been in Liga fairly recently, just a couple of seasons ago, actually. Uh, and they needed uh, at least a point here. And Dijon needed probably a win to stay up. So it was a pretty important game at both ends of the table. And ultimately, it was Le Havre who won. They scored an early goal, held on to the lead. And at the end of stoppage time, around which we had around five minutes off, uh, I'm assuming the referee blew his whistle for a foul or something, or someone blew a whistle, 
but the, all the fans or some of them at least interpreted that as the full time whistle and stormed onto onto the pitch to start celebrating that promotion but of course the game wasn't over so everyone obviously all the players went off to a corner and then you had uh, la fm manager uh, luka elsner shouting at the fans to get off because the job wasn't done and after about 20 minutes of all that drama they eventually cleared the pitch and restarted for just a few minutes and lafa held on to the lead so they stayed up dijon were at at that time the other games had finished so they knew that even a draw wasn't enough they needed to get a win to have a chance of staying up which they of course didn't do so dijon after being in liga a couple of years ago will now be in the third tier and they'll uh, be joined there by neem who were also in liga recently i'd also like to say a couple of years ago only actually but they've been relegated a, a while back yep actually dijon and neem getting relegated uh, as 19th and 20th uh, in 1920 where in 2021 sorry were not finally enough finished in the playoff spot and stayed up uh, so now both of them will be in the third tier and they'll be joined by niol and khodes onesi and valenciennes among the sides who sealed their safety uh, this this uh, well uh, at the end of this match and also in the promotion battle we had some uh, a big twist for the second spot mess took it with a 3-2 win over bastia because bordeaux uh lost their match against onesi but i rather forfeited it because they conceded in about the 9th or 10th minute and this was away from home t- uh well no they were not playing on sc i think i'm getting something wrong yeah this was my apologies this was the match day before bordeaux were against rodez who of course are as i said in the relegation battle or were uh, and ultimately they didn't get away with anything uh but uh bordeaux conceded in about the 22nd minute in this game and this was a home match for them and after they conceded uh, one of their fans came up and assaulted the player who was celebrating who scored the goal for rodez and that prompted i mean okay so to be fair the fan obviously came onto the pitch and hit the player which is wrong but the player did meet make an absolute meal of it uh, and went down rather dramatically as they tend to do but of course it was absolutely right to stop the match there and the players went in and ultimately the game was abandoned and the result of this hasn't yet been declared but you'd imagine that that's an that's an awarded win for rodez so in in that case that's actually huge for the relegation battle because if rodez are awarded the win then they'll jump out of the relegation zone and in fact it'll be on sc who get relegated so that could be huge in the relegation battle and of course if bordeaux aren't awarded the win they won't make third spot and even if they are they need to win i mean even if the match is restarted rather they need to win by a four goal margin which is well tough but anyway i, I don't think anyone thinks the match is going to be restarted it is almost certainly going to be an awarded win for rodez so they're going to stay up and bordeaux are going to miss out on promotion because a genius fan decided to assault an opposition goal scorer 22 minutes into the game so well that's a, that's a weekend of weird pitch invasions in ligue 1 let's let's also go on to some other second tiers in italy we have we well we've continued the playoffs uh, the 10 men of bari scored a crucial goal to beat sud tirol who defended in a i think a 6-3 no 6-2-2 low block here they had the the 1-0 lead from the first leg and they came out clearly to even outdo getafe uh, they couldn't quite do it because obviously they conceded in the 70th minute and they certainly weren't looking like they'd score after that so it was bari who came away with the 1-0 win which meant it was 1-1 aggregate but bari obviously finishing higher up in the table at the end of the season and in serie b that means you advance in the playoffs actually alex i'm interested to hear your thoughts on this too what do you think about the serie b playoff rule where if you finish higher uh, you advance in case of a tie you don't go to extra time you don't go to penalties you play 120 180 minutes and if it's a draw then the team that finished higher advances what are your thoughts on that yeah that's rubbish <laughs> i tell you this actually does remind me of a point i had obviously we had the europa league final last week right. um the the final that started in may and ended in june 
Um, yes, that one. And I, I was talking at work about an idea I think we could do to solve boring games, and this might be applicable here. Oh, um, cool. I think there should be a rule mm-hmm. where if both teams agree to do so, you can skip extra time and just have penalties after 90 minutes. Interesting. But both teams have to agree. So one team might really want to go to pens. It's like, nah, everyone, everyone says no. But maybe it's like a, a mentality battle. Maybe one team wants to go to pens. The other team goes, well, we want to yeah, go to pens case. too. Yeah, yeah, we'll have it as well. We'll beat you at it. So I think that would be a good way of skipping around. Maybe one team's really knackered. I think there's good elements you could bring into that. Yeah, that's an interesting shot. I think it's interesting. But uh, I mean, I, I don't, uh, you, if you're doing it here, you'd either, I mean, you'd still try to sort of have a tiebreaker rather than just, you know, give it to the higher place team. But yeah, I mean, in fair enough, that's how they do it there. So uh, both of these teams played for 180 minutes for uh, no reason whatsoever because Bali, the higher place team, advanced anyway. And in the other Serie one, B is also a league. I, I, yeah, this is an alleged, a, a very big alleged mark because I couldn't find it when I went to find it back in Andrea Pirlo's biography. But I believe people, but listeners can research his very strong words about the legitimacy of Serie B and about how it's um, uh, allegedly lots of match fixing. I allegedly believe Andrea Pirlo said that in his autobiography. Um, people can look it up online. It's quite interesting. I remember reading it. Well, that, that's interesting, certainly. When what what sort of time period are we talking? When, uh, when like oh, he, it was the book was published in the late twenty tens, right? And obviously, yes, from a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, know. who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. By the way, there were two teams, uh, obviously Bari and Sutirol, two newly promoted teams in the playoffs here. And as I said, Bari progressed. The other one was Cagliari against Parma. Uh, Parma with a 45-year-old Gianluigi Buffon in goal. They just needed one goal here in order to be able to advance because of this rule that I mentioned. And they thought they'd got it in the second half when someone hit a shot, which hit the crossbar, bounced somewhere and went out. And the referee's watch uh, buzzed or whatever goal line technology does. So the referee gave the goal, but then Cagliari players were like, that's not a goal. So then VAR checked it, and when you looked at the images... The ball clearly had not gone over the line. It landed on the line and, you know, you have to be fully over the line for it to be a goal. So goal line technology lied, um, but VAR saw that. So that goal was not given and Parma didn't score again. So it will be Cagliari against Bari in the playoff final in Serie B. Uh, we also had uh, Segunda Division playoffs, as I said. Levante getting an advantage over Albacete 3-1 and Ibar and Alavés drawing second legs this week. So we'll really talk more about that on Friday. Okay, let's go to some other uh, playoffs, promotion relegation playoffs in some other European leagues. Right, let's go now to Switzerland where we had the promotion relegation playoff for the Super League, which uh, contrary to Liga is expanding from 10 to 12 teams. So there's two more teams going to be there, which means we didn't have any direct relegation uh, from the Super League, but the bottom place club did have to, of course, play this playoff. That bottom place club was Sion, who were on their fourth or fifth manager of the season. Uh, Paolo Tramezzani reappointed, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, after Davide Betoni was fired at halftime in one of those games. Quite a club there. Uh, and they were against uh, Stard Lausanne Ushi, if I'm saying that remotely correctly. I hope I am. Um, who obviously finished third in the second uh, tier. And above them, we had Lausanne and Verdon, who get the direct promotion spots. And so now they had to play the playoffs. Two-legged tie this, but the first one was at the home of Sion, interestingly. And this ended 2-0 in the favor of the Visitors, who I think for, for the most part looked the better side in the game, certainly had almost twice as many shots as the Super League side. So they're in a pretty strong position. And we could well see Start Lausanne Ushi up in the Swiss Super League. Uh, obviously, pending the midweek second leg. And second legs, as, as we have seen elsewhere, can tend to be quite dramatic. Because in Scotland, we had quite something. We had quite a turnaround. Partick Thistle were seemingly in a pretty strong position win promotion 
from the championship after finishing fourth. Uh, they had a two-nil lead from the first leg at home, and indeed scored the first goal here too through Aiden Fitzpatrick just before half time, and it was all looking good for them. But then there was a dramatic late turnaround from Ross County in seventy-first minute. Yandanda scored a penalty. A minute later, Simon Murray made it two-three on aggregate, and then in in stoppage time. George Harmon scored the third goal to make it 3-1 on the night for Ross County, 3-3 on aggregate, and take us to extra time. In fact, they almost scored a late winner too. It's a great chance. Missed in about the 100th minute of the match. Uh, So we had a long stoppage time period. But anyway, we went on to penalties because there were no goals in extra time. So there's potentially another place for Alex's suggestion to be implemented. But over here... It was Ross County who prevailed. A, a little bit of drama. Partick Thistle missed their second attempt. Ross County their fourth. And so we went to sudden death. Where Ross, uh, Partick Thistle were up first. They failed to score. Ross County had the chance to win it. They failed to score. Partick Thistle next. They failed to score again. And Ross County did take their second match point so to speak. So they will be staying up in the Premiership after very dramatic playoff final and Partick Thistle will remain in the second tier. So that was uh, quite quite a playoff in Scotland. And some, some more promotion stuff we have is from Austria where Grazer Ake almost completed uh, a fantastic return to the Bundesliga. They were last there, I'd like to think, about almost a couple of decades ago. Since then, they've gone bankrupt. They have been refounded as a Phoenix club from the fans. This is the classic story everyone knows. They've made their way up through the leagues from the 8th tier, I think, in Austria. So right from the bottom. And now here, they were one win away from uh, winning the Zweiteliga and therefore taking the only promotion spot. But against Donbin, they could only manage a 1-1 draw and at that with a, with a late equalizer too. And it was a game where they needed a win because in the other match, Blau Weiss Linz uh, took the lead, well, considered first rather against Sturm Graz. So at that time, they were going up, but then they equalized uh, in the second half uh, early on. And then, of course, Don being scored against Graz to well, take them out of the promotion spot. And then later on, Blau Weiss Linz got their winner. And Graz are obviously considered or scored rather a meaningless equalizer. So it'll be Blau Weiss Linz in the uh, Austrian Bundesliga and Grazarake's well fantastic resurgence will have to wait at least one more year before they can return to the top flight. Right. I think that's that's all we've got from the realm of senior football. We do have a couple of youth tournaments to talk about. The under twenty men's world cup is heating up because we've had the quarterfinal stage played this weekend and so we know the the four semi-finalists now the four quarterfinals included israel perhaps with the biggest shock of the round they beat brazil 3-2 it was 1-1 at the end of the 90 brazil scored very early in extra time but israel staged a turnaround so they're through to the semi-finals in what i believe is their first under 20 men's world cup actually so a quite quite a quite a tournament for them so far uh, elsewhere, we had South Korea beating Nigeria 1-0 in extra time. Uh, so they're in the semi-finals. Colombia versus Italy was certainly the highest profile quarterfinal tie. And indeed, it was Italy who advanced and certainly now, with Brazil eliminated, cemented their status as the favourites. And the final tie was uh, USA against Uruguay, where Uruguay came away with a fairly comfortable 2-0 win. So the semi-finals we've got... Uh, Uruguay against Israel and Italy versus South Korea. Those are in the week. And next weekend, we will have the final. And the other youth tournament we had was the under-17 Euros, men's Euros, uh, which was won by Germany. They beat, I think it was France, if I'm not mistaken, to uh, seal their, I think their, just their first or second title uh, in the tournament on penalties. So, a goalless 90 minutes, no extra time in, in these tournaments, of course. So they went on to lift the title. We also had, I just remembered, the under-20 CONCACAF uh, Women's Championship uh, final as well this week. 
So, uh, uh, and indeed the third place match, but obviously the final, the more meaningful one. And this was won by Mexico against the United States with uh, a little, little bit of late drama, uh, USA equalizing in the 80th minute and then Mexico getting an 87th minute winner. So, well done to them as well. Right, that's that's all. That's all for all the all the football and the matches we had. But now let's talk some transfers because there are a fair few big moves hey, that could happen. High profile ones, certainly. One of them, let's start with, is a striker that both of us certainly appreciate. Alex, Lois Openda is set to leave Lens, which will obviously be sad. But where is he going? It's going to RB Leipzig, which is may feel like a, may feel like a boring transfer, but. It would be really exciting if it happens. We should say Lawns have rejected a 30 million euro offer from Leipzig. Which um, is a bit of a yeah, very low offer. <laughs> very, very low offer from Leipzig. Yeah, you got to try, I guess. Um, but yeah, Appenda, I think he's been one of the top scorers in France this season. Like a really good, strong one touch finisher, lightning quick, which is what Leipzig will absolutely love. Lawns have, Lawns are pretty good out of possession, but they've got not got. They're not the heaviest pressing team, you'd say. Like they do press out of possession, but not on a Leipzig level. So you'd imagine that's why he might go there and like develop that side of his game. He becomes a bit more well-rounded. But you can see Leipzig, if they got a pender in, then that is like Timo Werner, the, the, the old-school Timo Werner sort of vibe, where absolutely rapid player can make use of any sort of gap in behind a defence. Um Openda, if he does get picked up at them, would be huge. But I kind of hope he stays at Lawns for their Champions League campaign. Yeah, that'd be great. But as you say, if he does go to the Bundesliga, he's certainly going to have a great time for himself there. Right, we also have another big and a very dramatic transfer. Uh, Manuel Ugarte, another player both of us really do appreciate. But, but I've seen some, some, well, some transfer developments here, which I've never seen anywhere else. What is going on here? Yeah, I will. Uh, they sprinkle some allegedly onto this one as we yeah. go through it. Uh, but I've been keeping good track of this. Manuel Agate to Chelsea scribbled out PSG. Um, so the news broke yesterday evening that Manuel uh, Agate was getting pressurized to join Chelsea because um, I think, Chelsea. I think we should mention that before this, a week or so, I think. He reportedly had a personal agreement with PSG, if I'm not mistaken. I think that is the starting point. And then, obviously, as you say... Then, during the week, we saw more links to Chelsea, how Chelsea were pulling ahead. Then, yeah, it broke yesterday evening that Chelsea were looking to buy a minority stake in sporting as part of the deal for Agate. And this didn't come out completely nowhere because Chelsea's owners have long been reported to be interested in buying a Portuguese football club, like take a stake in them as part of their multi-club vision. So there wasn't completely out of nowhere. Then that broke up around 8 o'clock yesterday evening UK time. A few hours later, it broke that Agate, so Chelsea was off, that Chelsea had pulled out of the race, and they cited the fact that PSG had gone in above his market rate value, and Chelsea didn't want to put down the money for it. Uh, and it broke today... Uh, from the athletic, that... that's a very non-Chelsea reason. So it's yeah, else. <laughs> I was thinking the exact same thing. It broke today from the athletic that PSG had drafted a legal letter of complaint to UEFA and Sporting, um, over the reported news that they were Chelsea are going for a minority stake in Sporting. So it's a very murky saga around what is one of the best up-and-coming midfielders in Europe. It's quite weird that it's coming down to all of this, but I guess it makes sense for the. The value of the player, but I personally am with you. Um, of all the reasons for Chelsea to pull out of a move, <laughs> paying too much money has never seemed to worry them before. And apparently, they're giving him an if he signs for them, they're giving him an eight year contract, so they clearly haven't learned. Uh, but <laughs> the disappointment on Alex's face there, but yeah, well, yeah, I, I don't think they're gonna learn anytime soon. Right, let, let, let's go, let's move on. Let's go to another transfer. Uh, well, a, a less 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 high profile one, I guess, but a very cool one, I do think. I don't it's... even know who this player is. <laughs> That's when you know it's 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 a very niche transfer. I've heard of I've heard of the Alex. appreciation for your club. I don't know who the club is. Well, yeah, it's I mean it's not exactly an abbreviation like they're known as Estevebe or Centroiden. I mean the full thing is something Centroiden 
football. Oh, Belgium. Betting. Yeah, exactly, Belgium. Oh, uh, you knew you'd be some Trident. Yeah, but I think they also call them STBB, right? So, uh, that's that's what I know. But yeah, anyway, the player is Ryotaro Ito, of course, from the J League, uh, playing for Albirex Niigata, who were recently, well, I mean, promoted at the start of this year. And he's been impressing for them, not in the J League especially, and also obviously in their promotion campaign. Uh, he 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 spent some. He was with uh, Urawa Red Diamonds before, but spent time out on loan mostly. Joined Albirex uh, at the start of 2022. So after about a year and a half, he's moving on after these impressive performances. To Estevebe, who of course are known for being a real pathway into Europe for Japanese players. Of course, they have uh, Japanese owners. And in fact, are uh, na- re- this is a fairly old news, but the, their stadium uh, is being renamed from I think the Stein to the Dio Wasabi Stein Stadium because the owners are getting spons- uh, sponsoring it and getting naming rights on it. So uh, it's pretty clear that Estevebe are certainly uh, a great pathway into Europe for Japanese players, and yeah, I fully expect Ito to. Absolute. I mean, to, to certainly perform very, very well in the Pro League. Of course, it is a step up from Japan, but he's handled to step up within Japan from the second tier to the first tier like it's nothing. And I certainly do expect, given how how good he's been, uh, to to shine in the Pro League as well. He's well. I mean, I should have mentioned he's well, an attacking midfielder. I think we can call him. Uh, this season in the Pro League, he's got seven goals and four assists in sixteen games for a newly promoted team. Well, to be fair, are doing pretty decently, are in mid-table. But I think I think that, that should tell you about how good he is. He's got great end product, also great on-ball qualities, um, great, great passer and creator too. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how he does. How old Belgium. is he again? How old is he? He's fairly young. Let me quickly check that. But I would guess no older than 22, maybe even 21. But let me quickly check that. Oh, he's 25. My bad. But yeah, still very young. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think that transfer just got significantly less exciting. I mean, we'll see on, it man. Yeah, but I think to be fair, when you look at Japanese players compared to like European players, you should give them a three-year discount for age. Because <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, what I'm trying to say is their careers start, their senior careers certainly start relatively later because most of these players obviously come through the university pathway in Japan. And so they'll only really fully commit to senior football at about 21 or 22. Whereas in Europe, you know, the players come through academies and, well, the very good ones obviously go through to senior football at, you know, 17, 18 even these days. So even if you look at someone like, uh, how am I forgetting his name? My God, Kauro Mitoma, right? Even if you look at Mitoma, he only signed for Kawasaki Frontale when he was about... 22 23 something 21 22 mm. so you know and obviously as a result because of how how much football these guys play you generally expect and to see that the players who start their careers much earlier will also end them you know slightly early like around 35 odd whereas players who started later may be able to stretch closer to 40 and of course we do see especially japanese players playing even into their 40s and well, even in 50s in some cases. Uh, so, you know, I think he's 25, but he, I, I would still say he absolutely, I would say he has a chance of uh, potentially moving on to a top five league if he impresses in Belgium, because I do, I do think he will, he will stand out, I, I expect. And in that case, even if you give him maybe a year or two, he'll still be 27 and that's still, you know, just around his peak. So, well, one team he could end up moving to is Tottenham because they've uh, looked to be signing a manager who loves Japanese players. Beautiful transition. Go on. Tell us about that. Thank you very much. Yes, Ange Postecoglou looks like he's about to join Tottenham. Now, of course, that is pending Tottenham imploding again. And, you know, in a week's time, we could be talking about Brendan Rodgers taking over. <laughs> but, barring any surprises, Ange Postecoglou's moving from Celtic to Spurs. I mean, I've followed these time at Celtic very, very closely over the past year because I worked for a Celtic patron. Um, the type of football they play is excellent. You can see they're attacking play, their rotations on display easily. They've scored 206 goals in the league uh, over his two years there, which is 
like very very high um yeah the Celtic fans are in mourning on my timeline but you would have no doubt paid a bit more attention to him before he moved to Celtic what are your thoughts on it I th- I think he has had one of the most interesting career pathways obviously this would be a massive appointment for not just Tottenham if it happens but I think for Australian football and AFC football in general because I think he'd be the first AFC born manager to uh to move to a Premier League club so it would be huge and I mean he's absolutely had to I mean there's still people who talk about you know whether he's he's fit for the job or stuff which I mean I, I, I mean I'm not surprised but I personally I find that absolutely ridiculous given the stuff this guy's done so now this guy obviously starts in Australia uh where he's obviously born and brought up and he well no he, I, no he, he my apologies he, I, I think he's born in Greece but he moved to Australia at a very young age and obviously has citizenship so he starts his managerial career uh in the NPL which is sort of like I mean you could call it the lower leagues in Australia it's it's obviously a different system. There's no relegation promotion from the A-League, but there is relegation and promotion in the NPL. So he starts over there. Doesn't really have the best of times. I think he even suffered one relegation, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, th- then he he spent a fair bit of time, about seven years, with the youth setup, setup at Australia. Uh, popped by to Greece, uh, I think for maybe half a season in the middle. And then his first A-League uh, job was at Brisbane Roar in, I think, about 2009. I spent three years there. And um, he, I mean, he at, when he came in, they were in terrible state. I think, I think, in fact, it was the worst start of the season or to a season for them when he came in. Uh, and, well, sorry, his first season, rather, was the worst when he came in. Uh, and and after that though he completely uh, well he he rather turned things around he he did much better in 2011 or 10 11 he got them to a grand final and it didn't exactly go all that well in 2012 but they they came pretty close to a title again uh, and ultimately i think he left by mutual consent or something but his after the terrible first year his next two seasons were very, very impressive. And I think from there, you know, there were signs that this guy could be a top manager. And at this time, mind you, he is about, I'd like to say over 40 years old, certainly. So almost for almost 50, in fact. So um, he, he, as I say, his, his, his first almost 10 years in management were really not very successful. But after his, his stint at role, everything changed. Then he goes to Melbourne Victory which is um, certainly the best supporter A-League club, I would say, and generally the most successful. Um, and he does really, really well. I mean, he only spends a season and a bit there, and he wins them the title, I think. Uh, then he gets the Australia job, uh, wins the Asia Cup for them, which is a huge achievement, so does very well there. Then he goes to Japan, to Yokohama F. Marinos, a, a, certainly a better league in terms of quality to Australia, both in terms of player quality and indeed in terms of like tactical ideas and and like just the tactical level and stuff so uh, a step up certainly and he did very well there he i think won them their first title in about 15 years then obviously he got the celtic job in 2021 after having done all this after having won the titles with melbourne victory won the asia cup with australia ended a 15-year title route in japan he moves to celtic who are not doing very well when he moves there and still is absolutely laughed at. I think he himself said that when he came in, he was a joke for everyone else. But as you said, I think we don't need to say anything about how well he's done there. So he has more than proved himself for this job. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if he can end a title drought for Spurs. I don't I don't know if a single human being can really do that. But I think he's he's about as good a manager as they, they're going to get. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, long story short, very interesting guy, long career, developed a lot, and absolutely ready for this job. That's what I think about this move. Obviously, as you say, it's not done yet, and uh, well, un- until it's done with Tottenham, you can't say anything. But actually, on Tottenham, I-, I haven't got this down, but I think an interesting point to discuss after 
what I'll mention next, which is that in Saudi Arabia they have the 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 the, the, the well the football federation has essentially uh, passed uh, well allowed clubs to now be owned by private entities as well. But before well I mean till now all of them were all state owned clubs, but now that they can be privatized. And they've done some great privatization because the four biggest clubs in the country have been taken over by the PIF, which is obviously the state's public investment firm. So I mean, not a huge change there, but technically privatized now. But of course, the the, the big plan of, over here, of course, is the development of the Saudi Pro League, uh, the attraction of various superstars from Europe and stuff. And one of them, of course, is Karim Benzema, who, as I mentioned, is leaving Real Madrid. But on Tottenham, this might impact them because Real Madrid are searching for a striker and one person being linked with them is Harry Kane. I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on this one, Alex. Obviously, if it goes to or indeed, who you might suggest for the striker option for Real Madrid now that Benzema is leaving. Um, I think, no, so I think Kane would probably be the best option. Um, obviously, he'd be best short-term option. I think that's the thing. And I'd say the striker market for Madrid Depends what they want. I think Madrid like a link man, someone who's going to especially link well Vinicius Junior. So I can't see him going for a Victor Osserman. Um like you look past him, maybe a Dusan Vlaovic, who's not as isolated in build up, but he doesn't seem at the level. Um I saw links to Kai Havertz, so I'm just gonna assume like that's April Fool's Day. Um like there's no logical reason to go for him other than like what he was. I think Kane really just makes the most sense. The only concerns are his age and his injuries. Yeah, so that's that's fair enough. And I mean, we'll see. But I tell you one striker who they're not gonna get. Uh, that's Slatan Ibrahimovic because he has retired. He announced that at the end of Milan season, uh, which was obviously this weekend against Elas Verona, I think. And this was obviously at home for Milan. And in, in typical Zlatan fashion, when the Elas Verona fans were booing him, he said something along, along the lines of, this is your biggest moment of the season when, like, seeing me. I've paraphrased that very badly. But he said something along those lines. And as as you expect, went out, I mean, with a bang, with his words, but not with a bang because he didn't play. So either way, that's his career, his playing career over. Well, I mean, let's uh, let's see where, if... He does show up. He'll be a pundit week. along Raphael van der Vaart <laughs> on Dutch TV. And they'll both come out of outrageous takes every week. Um, He's not going into management. There's not a chance. I would be very intrigued if he does. But he's, as you say, he's probably not. Do you, know, do you remember Thierry Henry in Monaco? It'll be like yeah. that. Speaking of Thierry Henry, this reminds me. Uh, PSG have been linked with Julian Nagelsmann. What are your thoughts on that? And Thierry Henry will apparently be invited as an assistant if that happens. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, the circus goes on. I, I don't <laughs> know. If Nagelsmann accepts that, he's just silly over his own head. Like, it didn't work out a Bayern because of, it, it, it didn't work out a Bayern purely because of off the field issues and like struggling to handle the egos. So I don't know. That's like falling into a fire pit and thinking, I know what to do. I'm going to jump into a volcano. Like, this doesn't. <laughs> this is. It's like the anti-logical step for Nagelsmann. So I hope it's not true and I hope he doesn't do it. Right. Well, I, I think that's that's what we've got for today then. Oh, I, I do remember another thing, actually. Um, Daniel Fargas hacked by Borussia Mönchengladbach. They're now also going to be searching for a new manager. He's not had the best of seasons. And I think I have read links to Gerardo Seoane, of course, last seen at mm. Bayer Leverkusen. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I like that. That's a good move. That that would actually be quite a nice move. Um, I I feel bad for Daniel Farklow. I don't think I think he's been done in by the band squad building and players like Marcus Turam. Like Turam was excellent the first half of the year, and then when his contract was basically confirmed to be running out, he kind of lost motivation to play. I think the kind of the same effects happened across the squad. I've seen Gladbach put in some really good performances this year, uh, so I feel a bit bad for Daniel Fark. And we'll know they'll lose not only Turam but definitely. Um, uh, Manu Kone this summer as well. Yeah, that's a very good player, by the way. And but yeah, but I, I I sort of agree with you there. But at the same time, I think they tended to perform very well against big teams, and then tended to perform not very well 
in matches you'd expect them to win. And that probably explains why they finished mid-table, like 10th or something. Not anywhere near Europe, which is, of course... I wonder if they had they a very bad into the season. I'll check it now. I, I've got a feeling like they... Because you're right, I, I tended to watch them when they had sort of big games. So I, I wonder if they had just a bad end of the season. I don't remember them being in the race for Europe at any time since it got serious. So I think, I, I would say February, March is when they probably had a really bad run of results and fell out of that race. But I'll check that as well. But Yeah, they so yeah. since since um since they beat Bayern Munich 3-2 in mid-February... They've won. They've won three um, games, and and of their next games, they lost. They failed to win four, including two losses, and well, of their next nine, in fact, they only won one. And those losses yeah. include Stuttgart, draw with Köln, um, a draw with Werder Bremen, four nil loss to Mainz. I think that sums it up. You know, the, I mean, two one losses. They, they, they beat Bayern three two, and then. Immediately proceeded to lose for nil to Mainz. Yeah, but that's the, that's their checkbox of the season. Beat Bayern. <laughs> Do it every year. Oh yeah, I, I think that sums up their season. No way. Actually, look at the fixture before. They lost air to Hertha Berlin, who relegated. Terrible team this season. They lost to them four one. Beat Bayern three two. And then lost to Mainz for nil. Oh man. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's an odd one. They scored. They scored 52 goals, which is more than anyone in the bottom half of the table, um, and conceded 55, which is more than anyone in the top half of the table. So Perfect it, mid-table. Yeah, per- perfect mid-table side. Yeah. Well, that's that done. And speaking of teams who scored a lot of goals and conceded a lot of goals, I also remember seeing links for Peter Bosch to PSV. Where of course, yeah, fuck off. Manager. <laughs> Shut up. No, it's not happening. End the pause. There's not. We're not talking about Peter Bosch, <laughs> the Dutch guy. Uh, well, I, th- I think. Yeah, I mean, I think we've spoken about him before. You know, he he could probably get a job in that. He's under twenty ones. He he. Look, I'll give him that. He he gets as a neutral. He gives us exciting football. But as a fan, he gives you a lot of problems. He gives you disease. <laughs> yeah, he gives you a lot of anxiety. So yeah, let's let's see what happens there. But anyway, we've gone off plan, I think, more than we ever have before. So well done to us there at the end. But that, that's all we've got now. That That's a lot for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Big thanks to you, of course, Alex, for joining us. Uh, we'll be back as ever on Friday to recap whatever happens in midweek, which includes the biggest final of the club football season, the Europa Conference League final, and some other uh, playoffs and other such games. And then, of course, we look ahead to the weekend where there are more big finals and also some UEFA Champions League final. So that'll be on Friday. See you then if you can join us on Patreon or we'll be back next Monday to recap what happens in the weekend. So see you then if you can join us there too. Anyway, thanks for listening other way. Thanks again, Alex. And see you later. Thank you, Ron. I'm looking forward Bye-bye. to discussing Inter Milan's 2-1 win next oh, week. Yes, <laughs> I am. I tell you what, I, I, I'll just add this thing in. I will soon be writing a piece or looking at how Inter Milan can beat Manchester City. And I have some ideas for the nastiest mid-block of all time. So stay tuned for that. Anyway, see you next, see you later. Bye-bye.